Hi everyone, welcome to this month's episode of Doctors Who Create, it's Darlena Liu, and I'm really excited to announce that our podcast team has been growing. We have some great new members joining. I wanted to take this opportunity to welcome them. The Doctors Who Create podcast team is composed of myself and Mekala Nila Canton, and we are joined by Elaine Ma, Michelle Liu, and Margaret Wang. I'm really excited to have such new talent on our team, and I think you'll really enjoy the episodes that we have coming up for you in the near future. Today's episode was recorded by Elaine Ma and edited by Michelle Liu. Our guest today is Dr. Roberta Kung, an anesthesiology specialist in Los Angeles, California, who has over 30 years of experience in the medical field. In 2013, Dr. Kung founded the company Gifted Taste, a holistic wellness experiential platform that creates female tribes and curates retreats in arts, culture, and cuisine, all oriented around holistic wellness. Roberta's passion is uplifting women-led ventures, and through Gifted Taste, she also offers brand evolution consultancy for visionary entrepreneurs committed to redefining business models that focus on social change. I'm so thrilled to be chatting with her today. Dr. Kong, welcome to Doctors Who Create. Oh, so happy to be here with you, Elaine. So I like to open our podcast with the question, how do you define creativity? Hmm, Such a great question. Creativity for me is something that is innate in all of us. And when we reconnect to who we truly are at our core, I think creativity springs forth in so many different ways. And I think journeying to discover what those ways are and continuing to explore that is our birthright. And it's something that I hope that all people and especially women continue to do. So that's what creativity really is for me. Absolutely. I really like that definition, especially that piece about connecting to our core. That's definitely easier said than done. And I'm sure was a massive journey for you. And I think I'm still trying to find that as a young med student. But Once you did find that, what led you to ultimately create Gifted Taste? Kind of take us through that journey, even if that starts as soon as med school or throughout your anesthesiology practice. Sure. So Gifted Taste came about in 2013, as you shared, and it came about at a time where I was going through tremendous change and what I might say was really a period of growth. Some people look at it as they say it's your middle age crisis and did a six-year medical program in the Midwest and did all of those things that I thought I was supposed to do. At heart, I was a healer, but didn't really know the power and what that really meant. So throughout the years, I continued to you know, go through medical school and practice. And at a certain time, when I had achieved what people define as success, I felt tr- tremendously empty. But on the outside, I had a beautiful family, and I still do. I had three young kids at the time. I was married to a man who was very, very devoted and who was very loving, but I was very, very empty. And that sense really led me to really discover what I needed to do to transition. And I think it was at that time that I discovered I had to reconnect to what really made me happy. And Elaine, what I discovered at that time was what really, really made me happy was not only serving people, but serving specific people. And that related to my journey of healing. So in essence, it allowed me to connect to the wounded healer that I truly was. And when I started looking at that, I began also my journey of healing myself. And that really, you know, included 
being, you know, first generation Chinese American and all of the cultural narratives that I had bringing in here growing up in a very Chinese household, although my parents were divorced when I was about 10 or 11. And there was a lot of pain associated with that that was never experienced. So I think that's what led to me and really looking at my issues of being abandoned by a father who was loving, but again, didn't know how to deal with his inner demons and what were his challenges growing up as a child. So I think that's really what led me to really discovering Gift of Taste and going on this journey to continue to help other women. I felt like what really brought me happiness was giving back and my sense of gratitude. And that's really where the name came about, Elaine, was really about, you know, how do we gift people in a meaningful way? Because for me, I found so much joy in giving people things. But it was interesting because even as a child, the narrative around giving had a lot of negative connotations. It was really like, are you giving because you want people to like you? Do you? So that was told to me. But in really understanding that for me, it wasn't about that. It was a giving a part of myself. And how do we do it differently now is really what Gifted Taste was. It was an experiential platform for gifts that were connecting with people. So it really started out with medical. It was really about how do I give a gift of a dermatologist, for instance, because my mother would never go see a doctor. She would, even though she was a nurse, she would never go see a doctor. And whether she had skin conditions, she would never do that. And I thought, well, if I were to give my mom, set up everything for her, have a car to go pick her up, and she would meet me afterwards for lunch, that was an experience. So she would have, she can't say no to that. I mean, the doctor's appointment is made, everything is done. So it really started out with something like this because I had a very trying relationship with my mother. And then I think that's, that was really the heart of what Gift to Taste was about. Thank you so much for your honesty and vulnerability there. I identify with so many pieces of that. I'm also um, a first generation Chinese American. Just touching upon some of the things that you just brought up, as you said, you felt like you were a natural healer, but at sort of the peak of your career, you felt like you had checked all the boxes. From the outside, it looked like you had a really successful and perfect life, which in many ways you did. But there was this inner tension throughout the process of medical school. It's so rigorous. You're sort of able to escape these inner tensions. But at that point, it looked like you had no choice but to address it. And I almost feel like that's how gifted taste manifested. And you know, as a creatively inclined person who had the vision for gifted taste, I'm so curious how that creativity manifested in your anesthesiology practice. How did you make the practice your own? So it's so interesting that you um, asked that because you also hit on so many things that were so relevant. And I think you clearly understand the core and connecting creativity with gifted taste. I think the misalignment for me, part of this was the creativity in me. And that's really when I made the transition. So I was practicing anesthesia. It was very technical, but there were parts of it which I really loved. And that was the exploration of what did I love about anesthesia? What I loved about anesthesia was that I was able to hold a safe space for my patients. So surgeons often, you know, they have their, what they need to do. They need to go in, they need to cut, they need to do their procedure. But somehow the humanism, not by, by any, you know, means of purposely doing so, I think they become so focused on what is a disease process that oftentimes patients, their emotions get forgotten and patients themselves forget that. 
So I then, as an anesthesiologist, can hold space for them in talking to them before their procedure, even the night before, giving them that sense of calm. And also during the procedure, this was the creativity that I found in or the art of medicine for me. It wasn't just about giving them one medication to put them to sleep. Anesthesia was really about how do you tailor and use different ways, right, according to what your patient is all about, to be able to give them, to meet them at their need. So I didn't always give patients, you know, pre-op medication. Sometimes I did, sometimes I didn't. And, and I felt the energy of when somebody wanted to be awake to talk to me and they needed the soothingness. So I wouldn't give them as much or I wouldn't give them any, but it's all meeting them at their need. And during anesthesia, as you know, many of you know, hearing is one of the last things to go. And what I would always do is talk to my patients up until the time that they were fully deep under anesthesia because they could still hear me, even though they couldn't move. And that was a very, very important part of the anesthesia journey. And then to wake as they were awakened, it was the same thing. Even though they may not be able to move, I can tell I was very, very subtle, very discerning in noting when they were up into consciousness. And I would start also infusing and whispering different things into their ears. And those were all empowering quotes and, and messages, messages that the procedure is done. Everything went beautifully. Take some nice deep breaths. And you're going to go into the recovery room. I'm here with you. Those few words are very powerful. And that to me was actually the art of medicine and creativity, because this is how I was using the healer part of me and infusing that into what other people would think, oh, you just put them to sleep. And to this day, I have people say, oh, you put people to sleep. And for years, I used to say, oh, and I wake them up too. And beautifully, I wake them up (laughs) kind of as a joke. But that was kind of what we were pegged even by surgeons, you know, oftentimes it was like, oh, I just need a warm body on the other side of the screen. And that was fine if they wanted to say that. But for me, I knew I was so much more than that. And so I think part of the creativity and gifted taste was, you know, gifted taste was a creative aspect of who I was. And now that I have mastered anesthesia, the, the technical aspects of it, this is where the art comes in. That's so interesting hearing about the subtleties in anesthesia. I know that in our current state of American healthcare, there's this idea of a pill for every ill and it's very technocratic. And I mean, anesthesiology is really precise, like not to trigger any of the MS1s and MS2s right now, but right now we're literally learning about pharmacokinetics and pharmacodynamics. Kinetics is how drugs act on the body. Dynamics is how the body acts on the drugs. And I actually remember recently when I was shadowing in a different specialty setting, one of the patients was extremely adamant about requesting a certain anesthesiologist. She identified him by name, described what he looked like, his height and everything. And the reason that she was so keen on having this anesthesiologist again is because of the way he made her feel. He made her feel really safe and the way he put her to sleep and woke her up. She said she was an absolute nervous wreck, understandably so, about to undergo a pretty serious procedure. And the anesthesiologist was really the key player for her there. It was the last person she saw before she fell asleep. He was the first person that she saw when she awoke. So hearing how you sort of used these mantras and your own personal touch and healing is so interesting. I love that you also mentioned technocratic or you use that word. I think so much of the cost of healthcare can really be ameliorated or 
really decreased if we just look at the way we practice medicine. And for one, making a patient feel safe. Patients don't sue doctors that where they feel like they've not been neglected. I mean, when they feel like that they've been cared for, even if something doesn't go precisely, if they feel a connection to a doctor and they know that the doctor had their best at heart, you don't see lawsuits. I've given thousands of anesthetics and I've never been sued. It's not to say that I'm a great anesthesiologist. I'm a humanist. I think I'm very careful and I'm very diligent, but I've made mistakes. I've made mistakes, but at the same time, I've never been sued. So you look at that when everyone's looking at the bottom line, Elaine, the cost. How much money could we save if people just gave extra time to connect, just to connect and to say that I care? And just to put it into context for listeners who don't know, we are in California. People tend to be very litigious and medical malpractice lawsuits are really common. So that is incredible that you haven't received a single one. Wow. What kind of experiences do you hope to create through Gifted Taste? I know you touched upon it briefly, and it just sounds like a really diverse and fun experience that sort of covers all grounds. These retreats that we do are about modern wellness. So we host companies from abroad. It's educational entertainment because they not only come here and experience all the wonderful food and all the technology and Silicon Beach that we have and beauty and fashion and all of that. But we also share the other aspect of it, too, is how is that wellness and well-being? So there is a part of it that we, if, you know, I always think of it as also market intelligence, because depending on, you know, what company or that you are, and we kind of do a deep dive into that. But ultimately, it's about experiencing modern wellness and discovering what wellness and well-being means to you, and then what it feels like. We're opening your eyes to different ways to looking at that experiencing it, and then creating space for you to really reflect and look inward. So it's not, it's very different from other travel uh, experiences, because I think the most important part is that reflection and being guided to ask those questions for yourself. So a lot of our retreats for our women is just that. And my goal is really to help women have a deeper relationship with themselves. And when we do have a deeper relationship with ourselves, our relationships with our partners, our children, our colleagues, with friends, our siblings are really better. They're better, they're more fulfilling, and they're, you're more peaceful. We're not always trying to chase something. One of the things that I love to do is mentor. And so I mentor women in their creating their next in life. What is their next chapter? They're at, usually at thresholds of change. And how do we help them reconnect to their light and to the love, you know, and to life to really be present. Especially in a profession like medicine, I feel like women are called to a standard that might cause them to disconnect with themselves in order to be either taken seriously professionally or especially in a hierarchical setting like the OR, I'm sure you had to sort of put up a front to gain respect in certain situations where a lot of it is misogyny or racism and things like that are really difficult to navigate. And when you graduated from your anesthesiology residency training here at USC, you became the youngest female partner in the private anesthesia group at Cedar sinai Medical Center, which is a huge healthcare provider in the LA area. I wonder how much of that experience, just being a young woman in medicine put in this really high pressure setting, 
has shaped your abilities to uplift other women and just have this passion project of wanting women to connect with their inner selves? Yeah. Thank you for asking this because so much a part of my journey and where I am today, and I have to owe to my residency at USC and particularly to my mentor and my teacher, Dr. Tanga in the anesthesia department. He is not only a tremendous visionary, but he is spiritual. He's intelligent. And the times that I spent with him were some of the most meaningful times in my life, I can say. And when I entered the anesthesia group, I was the only female out of 17. And I remember very specifically going into the first day of, of uh, residency, and there was roll call. And everybody that they called up until 15 were all men. And then it was me. And then there was one more person, and his, uh, his name was Leslie. And I was like, thank goodness, there's another woman. Leslie was a man. So it was me and 16 other men. So I think that really, you know, allowed me to actually see this other side and to realize there's balance because in all of us, there is a feminine and masculine side because we are feminine and masculine. So I think that helped me evolve also my masculine and have a compassion and appreciation for that. But it also forced me to really step up in ways that I don't think I would have if I wasn't ever put in that situation. And having somebody like Dr. Tanga see me as a spiritual being, not as just a woman or a resident or, and he recognized that I was a healer. And he only recently told me this from very on. He said that very early on, I knew you were a healer and not just a doctor. So I credit a lot of that to the incredible people who have uplifted me. And for this reason, why it's so important for me to continue to uplift such women, so many women, because I see so much light in them. And like you said, there are so many standards. And I also see a lot of women who feel like they have to behave in a certain way because all they all they see is the way the success of the men, or that I should put in quotes, the success of the men in their department. So they start behaving, which isn't the way that they are. And I think what they do is they lose what is really special about them. Something mm-hmm. else that is really fascinating is at its core, anesthesiology is taking away someone's pain, right? I feel like in a way you continue to do that mission and gifted taste, or at least you nurture a natural strength in women to handle life's challenges and pain. Could you kind of speak to the connection there or if there's differences? Sure, sure. The mind-body connection, as many of you know, is that pain is a manifestation, many of us believe, of an emotional pain. And an emotional pain may not be recognized, but over time, emotional pain manifests in the physical. And this is actually the how Chinese medicine addresses disease, is we look at different energies and what is the emotional energy that is connected to your pain. And then we look at the different organs. So we really, the symptoms, we realize that a lot of physical disease is a symptom of emotional disease. And I particularly now only work with patients with gastrointestinal issues. And Dr. John Ellis is the only doctor that I work with, and he is incredible. What we see is a lot of patients with gastrointestinal issues. They're coming to get procedures, which you know, are costly. And many of them, when I start having this conversation with them, it's very obvious that it's rooted in an emotional, there's an emotional charge to that. We're seeing younger and younger patients come in who have gastrointestinal issues and requiring colonoscopies and endoscopies. And as many of us know, the gut is a source of a, a tremendous source of serotonin and which is your feel good um, neurotransmitter. 
So when people are having anxiety, they are having an imbalance of their microbiome. This is showing up as gut disease and it becomes a vicious cycle because then they're not eating properly. Then they have further, you know, disruption of their microbiome and then decrease in their, you know, dopamine and their serotonin. They're getting medications in which you addressed. Society, Western medicine is really about giving medicine to heal somebody or it's cutting out. That is just the way that we were trained. But when we start integrating, which is in it, when we start understanding functional medicine and integrative medicine, we realize that there's so much more to the human being than the physical body. And this is what gift to taste is all about. It's about, yes, let's address what physical issues you're having, because that's first and foremost important. Once we do that, let's go back and see what brought us to where we are. Because if we don't address those issues, that will come up again. You raised so many important points there. I love that you're able to draw upon your personal identity and curate this creativity in bridging Eastern and Western conceptualizations of health, which are pretty disparate, but where they intersect, I think, is where we can find a lot of solutions in healthcare that would address the most pressing issues that we face today. And something else you brought up about just how important food is and how we're using medicine to treat a lot of things that could be treated by just a healthy diet. And what we accept today as food is really not, especially in American diets, and more so how food connects to our gut, connects to our mind. I just think that's such an underrated area of medicine. And once again, evoking the preclinical curriculum that I'm currently drowning in theme that I'm seeing over and over again is just that inflammation is the root of so much modern disease. That starts with what we eat, what we put in our mouths. We are what we eat. That old mantra is really true. And I almost feel like all doctors should get a degree in nutrition or something like that because our education of that was so brief. We had maybe one lecture, but so important. And I'm so glad you brought that up. I feel like we need to touch on the role of meditation in physiological health. I would love to hear what you think about that. Sure. Meditation often, I think, gets a little bit of a short end of the stick because people think of meditation as only a couple ways that you do it is you have total quiet. You're sitting maybe on um, a bluff overlooking the water um, or you need to have complete silence. Meditation is really inner stillness. And we can achieve inner stillness in different ways. Some people arrive at that by active meditation. It's a dynamic meditation. So over the years, I've done a lot of different types of meditation. And I realized the way that my mind works is I really need to get to a state of peacefulness and stillness through breath work. And, and here is also when I started discovering who I was looking at my energies, my energies related to the cosmos. And this is where astrology comes into play. When we look that we are actually part of the energy of the universe, this is also no surprise that the planets and the celestial movement and what is going on affects our bodies. So when I recognize that as a, you know, a Gemini and a Leo and ascendant, but I'm a Pisces moon. So, you know, when I really truly understood that, I realized that, well, I'm also not that type that may be able to arrive at stillness in the same way that everybody else does. So for me, it's really powerful breath work. And that actually, because I have so much energy that is, as a Gemini, is a thinker, 
We've got to bridge the thinking down to our heart. And we get through that by what? Our throat chakra. So we have to open up our throat chakra to be able to kind of calm the mind and go into the heart, which is feeling. So I think meditation, there's so many different ways to look at that. And that is part of the retreats that we do. Meditation can be ecstatic dance. You get to a place that you are just so free. You don't have any inhibitions. You're not judging yourself. And you're just free flowing. That is a place of meditation because you're still finding that mental calm. I mean, speaking as a resident Scorpio here, Leo Moon, Aries (laughs) rising, (laughs) I definitely love astrology. I know some people are incredulous of it, which I get, but I think anything that can be a lens to help you understand yourself better, understand the world better, have more compassion for yourself, have more understanding for others, I think can't really be a bad thing. Um, But just how important it is to just really get to know yourself for personal reasons and for our professional trajectory as young doctors. It's so important to do that reflection. And I think meditation also helps with that too. Just pivoting a little, what sort of advice do you have for young students or doctors who are sort of in my place right now where we're posed with probably one of the biggest questions of our career is what do I want to practice in medicine? What do I ultimately want to do? If you could kind of walk us through the questions you asked yourself around that time or what was helpful to you in making such a big decision. Yeah. The first thing that I would say is to be kind to yourself. Don't feel like you need to have the answers. Oftentimes the answers come to us when we flow with the energy of the universe. Because when we can be, we feel. And when we feel, we can feel those subtleties and nuances of what the universe is telling us and what is our path. What is our higher purpose? And what I would do is if you are called to a certain specialty, really go deep. Understand why you want to be really honest. And it may be because they make the most money. But that could be the first question or the passageway to understanding why money? What does money represent for me? Are there other ways that I could achieve the feeling that money gives me. And it may go back to security and options, like money offers me options in life. And then you go down that next question, options for what? Usually people want freedom. I could do what I want to do. Then the question would be, could you do what you want to do now without that? Do you need X amount to feel happy doing something like being out in nature? Does that require a lot of money? But it's just being honest and then being kind to yourself. And I think that's one of the biggest things that I would really kind of recommend. I'm so glad that you oriented that money component and that earning component in a different way, as I think a lot of people right now are thinking about student debt and um, these financial pressures that are really real. But other things to consider is fulfillment and sort of the long-term prospects of whatever we end up doing. So I'm really glad that you brought that up. I mean, physician burnout is one thing, but... It sounds like for you, you had a higher calling and you struck a different balance since you still do practice anesthesiology with the gastroenterologist. But I have to wonder, did your background in medicine inform your entrepreneurship and what kind of entrepreneur did it make you? I think this goes back to your first question about creativity. I believe at heart, we are all entrepreneurs. 
because the seat of entrepreneurship is creativity. We just have to give ourselves space to allow that to bloom. So medicine, absolutely. I think it was life affirming. I needed to go through traditional medical school to be able to speak to people, to relate, to have that, you would say, street credibility. Because if I came to it from the other side and saying, well, no, I didn't go to practice medicine, people still use that as a gold standard. You know, as a healer, are you a doctor? Well, as we know, there are chiropractors, there are all different kinds of healers that don't necessarily need a degree, but it's really their passion and their expertise and their life experiences that allows them to share in a meaningful way. This goes back to my purpose. I'm able to reach people who only want to hear from the doctor, from the MD, so I can speak to that. But having said that, the choice of anesthesia was also not a coincidence. I think everything is a synchronicity in life. At my stage right now, and I will probably start practicing anesthesia in the next couple of years. And in 2013, right around before that time, when I was also evaluating what was going on in anesthesia. And I don't know if you remember around, you know, a couple of years after that, there was an incidence with Michael Jackson. And at the time, there was a, a machine that was allowing people to administer anesthetics by themselves during procedures. But this is right around the time that Michael, what happened with Michael Jackson, and that put a kibosh on all of that. I believe the idea about being self-healers and taking control of your own healing, they were on the right track with that. But what they weren't on the right track with, it was all motivated by finances, right? It was for insurance companies. They didn't have to pay for anesthesiologists. They can just have a machine and the patient would give themselves medications. But here again, going back to why I am probably leaving anesthesia for good in the next couple of years is that when I realized that I was awakening to who I was, it was a misalignment to what I was doing. I was putting people to sleep. And I want to awaken people. I've awakened. And I don't want to continue. And that misalignment, I think, was what was causing some of the distress that I was feeling up until that the time of continuing to evolve what gifted taste is. It was not chance. I was an anesthesiologist who's awakened and now what I'm doing. Because I'm also, again, the polarity. I've been able to speak to what it was like putting people to sleep. And that was very unfulfilling and ungratifying. But in awakening people. Wow. I, that's a beautiful metaphor. It's funny that you brought up Michael Jackson because I did think about him at the time when he passed away. I think I was 11 years old. So I was really too young to understand. But it's fast or it's sad, really, that his death was just due to all the stakeholders that are in healthcare who complicate things and make it about money, which is really to the demise of a lot of people's health. It's so interesting that once you awakened, you sort of shifted towards gifted taste. And I think I agree with you. There's a lot of innate healers, but in society to crystallize your value and your legitimacy, you do do things like medical school, which makes sense because you get a fantastic training. You need that scientific foundation to make those really important decisions for people. But I'm sure the way you're connecting with people in gifted taste, as opposed to your patients in anesthesiology, is totally different. Something that I've heard from anesthesiologists that they really enjoy about the patient-physician interaction is that when people are put in their twilight state, I think they call it, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. people are yeah. all their barriers are sort of melted away and they become really honest and they can tell you some really interesting stories about their lives. And 
that's something that a lot of anesthesiologists really cherish about their practice. But I'm sure it's really different now in gifted taste. How are those interpersonal connections that you made in medicine with your patients and your clients in gifted taste similar or different? Yeah, it's interesting because when patients have a level of comfort, they actually can let those barriers down before being put in the twilight state. Just as with gifted taste, when women go on a journey and they feel safe and they really know and start kind of unwrapping who they are, unraveling who they are, they actually are able to access that state, which is the unconscious coming to surface. And as we know, once the unconscious comes to surface, we're able to address the things that it, that are causing us pain. Right now, what is really big, and you're probably aware of this, is plant medicine. But it's interesting because plant medicine is a way to tap into our unconscious. But what's more powerful than actually the whatever you're using to get to that state is the intentions that you set. And I think this is also where anesthesiologists can come in for gifted taste. I think one of the things that I've shared with people or my gift is manifesting. I'm a powerful manifester. And why am I a powerful manifester? Because I'm a powerful intention setter. And anybody can be a powerful manifester and a powerful intention setter. So much of manifesting right now that you see is really commercially driven and financially driven. And people are selling you things about how to manifest. But what I would suggest is if you want something to happen, really go back to understanding your intention for that. Going back to gifted taste and manifesting gifted taste, it has to be in alignment with what you truly want. So you may say, I want a lot of money, but internally, if you've always associated money with something that was negative, I didn't have enough of, that will never manifest. And, and you'd be surprised at the end of your exploration where what you want to manifest may be very different. And that's very positive because you've all heard the saying, be careful what you wish for because you will get it. Very true. <laughs> very, very true. Very true. <laughs> and as a med student, a lot of us keep our heads sort of buried in the books and all the things that we have to deal with in the present, but it's easier said than done to keep your intentions straight in your head and really understand what you want in a career in medicine. And that's really hard to keep in mind. Yes. So what is the future of gifted? The future of gifted taste is me continuing to connect and assist women, connecting with them though in very organic ways. I don't do any social media except for LinkedIn. I don't do any of that. And so for me, it's very important because it's an energy. I mentor people who are going into medical school. I mentor people who are coming out of medical school during medical school. And I mentor a lot of children. When I say children, I mean young adults, 16, 18 year olds, who are trying to decide on what post-secondary education looks like. Am I going to go right off to college? What am I going to do? And also with women in different stages in their life, they have been, they have an expertise in something, and they spent 20 years doing that, but they feel very empty, similar to what I experienced. And it's very hard because there's a lot of fear surrounding that. So what I provide is not only that safety, those questions about who are you? Let's kind of look in, into that. Once we discover who we are, the fear really becomes lessened because you realize how unique you are and how different you are from anybody else. This goes back to looking at your natal charts, right? At that one second in time, the stars and planets and where you were, only you. So when you truly recognize how unique you are, you'll know that you don't need to worry about stepping on somebody else or getting ahead of somebody else in that way. Just be, shine in who you are. And what is meant to be for you will come to you, just like medicine or anesthesia came to me. 
I didn't actually decide to go into anesthesia. I wanted to be an eye surgeon, but I didn't match. And at that point, um, I, my life was, my world was devastated. I was like, I didn't match. I actually was going to take off a year and go into the Peace Corps. So that was actually the first time I ever had anything, not successful at anything, right? Like you set your mind to. Everything was in control. Everything was so tightly wound. And that was the first time back then. And I was 23. And I was like, I'm done. I really wasn't. But I was like, I'm done. <laughs> Thank you so much for such a thoughtful answer. I certainly found many pearls of wisdom and creativity just hearing about your journey. And before we close, if people want to get in contact with you and hear more about Gifted Taste, where can they reach you? The best place is maybe to contact you. And I think you will make a meaningful connection. They can also just email me at Roberta at giftedtaste.com. Awesome. It was an absolute pleasure, Dr. Kong. And thank you again for coming onto the pod. Thank you so much. You are such a joy and delight. And our future is in your hands. And that is so reassuring. <laughs> no pressure. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Uh, thank you. If you like what you're hearing, don't forget to subscribe tell a friend, leave a review. We would love to hear from you. And if you have any questions, comments, or concerns, you can email us at doctorswhocreate at gmail.com. Or tweet us at doctorscreate. Or check out our website, doctorswhocreate.com, to listen to our podcast episodes and also to check out other articles and profiles of physicians who are creative. Intro music brought to you by the band Night Float.